there are two players, you know, worth millions of pounds each, you know, top international well-known players. Mm. And they had injuries. And my colleague who came in as a consultant is also an osteopath. So he, he came in under the, you know, the, the guise of a, of, of an osteopath and he assessed the, but he's also a Czech practitioner and he assessed these players and he sent a report back to the medical doctor. And his report was both of these players, their injuries are caused by gluten intolerance, wow. which is unstable, you know, causing them to be unstable, which is causing, you know, I remember one guy was, he had ankle sprains. I can't remember the other guy's injury, but one of them was definitely ankle sprains. And I think he also had opposite side shoulder issue, but that was actually compensating for the hip on the opposite side. Hmm. So his recommendation was that this soccer player goes on a gluten-free diet. Hmm. There was other recommendations, of course, but that was the key one. And the team doctor went, don't be stupid. First of all, that's nonsense. And secondly, it's impossible to eat a gluten-free diet. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. All right. Hello there, Lee. Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Evan, and thanks for, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. It's always cool to get someone from across the pond on the show. Um, I'm trying to, I got to, I got to go through it one time and see how many different countries we've actually had on the show. It's nice to see it expanding. We are a United States dominated audience, but I'm looking at the analytics recently and, you know, Canada and Australia were actually go back and forth fighting for the, the second place. So I'm uh, really excited. It's just cool to have all these people connected. And I think it's, it's really with this passion for the functional side of things and natural health. You connect with people all around the world uh, because there's many people out there doing this stuff. So mm -hmm. I want to kind of just go through your journey today. Obviously, mm -hmm. the audience just heard your bio, but I'm really curious about the things that, that you've done and how you ended up getting to this side of stuff. So basically, Lee started out as a super athletic person, right? Still are. And you were interested in like kind of the weight and strength training side, not necessarily the functional medicine side, right? So what, what got you into that? Were you just, was a parent competitive or did you just find a sport or two that you loved? Um, how did I get into athletics initially? Yeah, and how did get that obsession for it? Because plenty of kids play sports like I did. I didn't get an obsession for it. <laughs> well, it's interesting because my dad wasn't sporty at all. Neither was my mum. But I, I can't remember a time when I was not absolutely crazy about sport. <laughs> so I, I couldn't even tell you when it started. My mum tells a story about when I was about 11 months old in a baby walker, kicking a football around the living room. You know, it was all, it was that I was that young. I was <laughs> interested in, in sport and, you know, growing up in England, you know, the, the, the main religion in England is football or what you call soccer. Yes. And, you know, I started playing competitively when I was six, you know, I mean, kids aren't allowed to do that nowadays um, at, at age six, not, not 11 aside soccer anyway. Um, but I was absolutely obsessed by sport, but particularly soccer. But where that come from, I, it's almost like I was born with it, I would say. Cool. 
Well, that's, hey, that's a good enough answer for me. I mean, that's actually even more validating, right? Some people are just mm-hmm. meant to do certain things, and then you've combined it with all these different modalities as time went on. Um, I think we could actually, I, I was kind of wondering with that, because we could probably jump forward to the next part. Because, mm-hmm. again, the uh, audience heard you're into weight training, started taking it seriously around 23. Um, I think it was really smart that you got into it when you were a teenager, right? Because, you know, I'm not some big guy myself, but I do like being strong. I like being mm-hmm. athletic and functional. And so I was playing around with the weights, too, as a teenager. Um, it was it looked pretty interesting, I'm sure, at the time. But even getting that that base, if I wasn't doing it correctly, it is really useful in your 20s when you can do these movements properly and with good form and, and low risk of injury. I'm curious then, how does this uh, you know, football playing, weightlifting person start kind of exploring these more natural and functional things? Because again, you know this better than anyone. There is almost a disconnect between these two industries half the time. And mm. so did you have personal health challenges that led to that? Or was it just an interest in learning? I'm curious. Well, it's, it's a bit of both. So, I mean, I, I finished I finished playing soccer when I was 23. Um, I was actually much better at cricket, it turned out. Okay. Um, then I was at, was at football, but I finished playing cricket when I was 21. Um, and then the sport I took up was called nightclubbing for the rest of my twenties, um, which, which took up most of my energy. But, um, so I was, I would have been 27 when I actually started as a personal trainer. So I, I got in that, that side of things. And then in 2001, I started training with the Czech Institute. And at the time it was all, um, what we, what we now, we now call it integrated movement science. So it was all on the physical side. It was all on the exercise side. It was all about posture and, um, injury rehabilitation and sports performance. But then in 2004, um, the Institute brought out their holistic lifestyle coaching program. So from 2004 to 2006, I studied holistic lifestyle coaching. So that really got me on the, on the trail, if you like. And then in 2006, part of the holistic lifestyle coaching level three course, we got taught functional medicine and uh, the Czech Institute, just like FDN did, had a very close affiliation with biohealth diagnostics. Okay. So we learned a little bit about some of the tests that biohealth diagnostics did. And I really, and I was really passionate about learning more because we didn't, we didn't really, we weren't given enough to go away and, you know, start doing functional medicine. So I was kind of left a little bit like, oh, I need more. I need more. Mm-hmm. And then it was probably within 18 months that Reed launched FDN. And I, and I was like, oh, that's it. That's what I've been looking. I've been looking for that's something it. like this. So I, I was probably one of the first people to do the online FDN program. Wow. Now, I can't remember the exact year. It was either 2007 or 2008. I can't remember the exact year. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds right. It would have had, yeah, it would have yeah. had to be. <laughs> yeah, because I know initially, initially Reed only offered FDN as a live class. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, oh, do I, do I fly out to California to do this class? And <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a bit, it was, it was a kind of bit of an, it would have been too much because it wasn't, I think if I remember right, it wasn't done in one go. I'd have to have come over to California for mm. quite a while. And, you know, back then most of my work was face to face. So, so I took I took the class with with Reed, and um, what what you may not know was soon after I completed the course, I can't remember exactly how long after, but I I actually started teaching FDN in the UK. Well, I did. 
Yeah, I thought you wouldn't know that. So no, I did not. <laughs> so cool. what 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 I used to do was I used to teach uh, a weekend workshop, and I think it was if I remember right, I used to teach the first two modules. And if people enjoyed the first two modules, they would then buy the rest of the program online. So I did that. I did that for maybe a year or so. And then the only reason I stopped was because in London, the rents just got horrendous. Hmm. And to put on an event, I would have had to have get such a massive number of people just to break even. So that, that was the only reason I stopped. But um, so that, that was kind of how my journey started into, into more functional medicine type work. Very cool. I actually, I, I learned a couple of things here because I didn't know that the Czech Institute had been around for so long. Um, and it kind of makes sense. I hope people, especially we have so many people that are getting into business for themselves. And I hope they really register these little subtle messages that aren't necessarily the main point of the podcast, but things that you can learn. Because yeah, nowadays, FDN, Czech Institute, all right, these are relatively big names in our space. You hear mm-hmm. about them, you see them at the conferences and stuff. But it's like, guys, they've been in this game for decades. Like they've been Mm. out there doing this before the internet was a huge thing. And before this is how you really did business. So just always keep in mind, it's a long-term game in business, right? You can get started and do well for yourself within a year or two. That's realistic. But if you're going for these massive goals, give it some time, give it some grace. Mm. And then you could play with uh, some of these big time people that are are doing this stuff. So I like that you were an early adopter. I did not know that at all about you teaching FD out of the UK. So you're like Mm. one of the best people to have on this podcast. Um, what did this do for you as a as a business person and even as a personal trainer? Were you starting to utilize lab testing in person with your personal training clients? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say when I started my check training, I kind of stopped being a personal trainer as such. I still okay. I still used exercise as a as a tool to help people, um, but I, I wasn't kind of personal training per se. Mm-hmm. So. As soon as I, well, probably even before I finished my training with FDN, I started doing using lab tests to help clients because, you know, what we learn in the Czech system is to use a very holistic approach. So, you know, you've got to be looking at things from every angle. So, you know, if you don't know where someone's at hormonally or you don't know what's going on in terms of their gut health, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tricky to to help them. I mean, yeah, okay, you can probably guess from symptomology, but if you if you've got test results and they match with the client's case that you're seeing in front of you then you know you're you're in a much better position to give the client the right help that they need right got it got it okay so that's pretty cool one of the things that I wanted to, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I want to start kind of connecting all of this to sports performance because when I was going through some of your links, uh, one of the coolest things that caught my eye right away is something that happened uh, fairly recently. You were uh, doing a podcast talking about this connection between like gut health and sports performance and not and not only that, but sports injuries. Mm. So, I mean, you have really mixed all of your, your passions here together, right? It's not like you just completely traded off one for the other. I mean, that's interesting because uh, one of the things that I saw, Lee, before I was really advanced with this stuff, And I don't even know if it's fair to call myself advanced. There's people that are pretty far with this. Let's say experienced. I'll use that word. Mm -hmm. But six years ago, I was just about to get into FDN. I was like months away from it. And I was eating vegetarian. And when I say vegetarian, I mean like almost vegan. I basically just ate eggs once or twice a week. And the rest of the time was true vegan. It was a high quality vegan diet. Mm -hmm. But we all know that that can be incomplete for a lot of people. Um, And it definitely was for me because even though I wasn't a sports person in terms of like being hyper competitive with it or taking it super seriously, I was always very active, right? Like my kid, my parents got me involved in stuff as a kid. I always played a sport or two, just, you know, 
even if it was intramurally, just having fun with it. And what's interesting is despite having all these years of playing sports on and off, it was as a young adult in my very early 20s that's playing pickup basketball and riding a bike. I got two injuries when I've never had injuries before. Um, in almost a two month span. So I shattered my foot, first of all. And I was, I mean, I didn't run again normally for almost three to four years. Now that's a separate situation about the, the physical therapists that I went to that that's not their, it wasn't the foot's fault or the vegetarian diet. That was a whole separate issue. But I mean, I literally couldn't walk from a pretty basic injury for several weeks. And then in the same amount of time, or like right before that, actually, um, which wrist is it? Thankfully, the scar tissue has helped me out here, but uh, it's this wrist. I have a completely snapped ligament here proven on MRI. I just never got the surgery for it because I I have overall good mobility. So I didn't get it back then, but I, I think what I'm trying to suggest is that there is something here between this gut health and overall health and the injuries that we're getting. So um, mm. maybe we can just jump right into that because I think that's a super mm. interesting topic. What does that sure. have to do with sports injuries for people out there that are getting hurt? Well, I mean, there's there's quite a, a lot we could go into, but I guess probably the main the main issue that I tend to see with clients is when they have any kind of abdominal inflammation. And again, we know there's many causes of that. You know, it could be food sensitivity, it could be dysbiosis, it could be SIBO. You know, there's many many things that could cause inflammation in in, in the abdomen. But what what happens is is that the nervous system sends uh, an impulse to the brain to say there's an issue here. So, you know, if it's a small intestine, it's, it's going to send it via certain uh, nerve pathways at certain levels of, of, of the spine mm. and the brain will register. Okay. There's an issue at these levels of the spine and it sends a, a signal back down the same nerve pathways. But what it tends to do, it tends to either cause the muscles. So it doesn't go back to the, to the viscera generally, it will send a signal back to the muscle to either um, contract as in spasm. So Mm -hmm. similar to it. So if someone's having a heart attack, they get a spasm of the muscles in the left shoulder, down the left arm. It could be in in the jaw. That that's what's known as a viscerosomatic reflex. So, so it's a reflex from the viscera to the somatic system. But what tends to happen most often in the abdominal wall is that the muscles become inhibited, and in particular, the type 1 muscle fibers, or what we call the slow-twitch muscle fibers. And they they are the muscle fibers that basically hold everything together to keep it stable. So they help to stabilize you know, the lumbar spine, the pelvis, the rib cage. And of course, our legs are attached to the pelvis and our arms are attached to the rib cage. So if you've got inflammation in in the viscera in 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 the abdomen what it will do is it will cause instability in the joints of the body now when you've got instability in a joint it can create um, excess compression torsion or shear another word for that is wear and tear okay so you get excessive wear and tear in the joints and then over time then you start to get issues it can also be you start to get um, mus- muscle imbalances and then you start to get certain muscles that are overworking. And that's when you might start to get things like muscle tears or tears of the, of the tendons. You might even get ligament um, issues. That's, that's more to do with an unstable joint. You're more likely to get stress to the, to the ligament. So when I'm working with 
and it doesn't have to be athletes. I mean, anyone can get injuries, right? So mm. if anyone gets any kind of injury, one of the things that I have to look at is, is there any inflammation in the gut? Because I can give them the best manual therapy. I can give them the best corrective exercise program. But if we don't fix what's going on in the gut, you're not going to get any kind of result because the injury is just going to come back again. So it's an absolutely uh, crucial part of the process when a dealing with sports injuries, but also sports performance, because, you know, if you've got unstable joints, you can't generate as much power mm-hmm. or you can't generate as much strength. So, you know, p- performance is reduced. And of course, if you're injured, <laughs> you're not going to perform very well. Right. So, you know, it really has a massive effect on, on injury and performance. Okay. I'm already thinking about, I'm making this connection from the stuff that you're mentioning about like basketball players. Cause obviously basketball is huge in the United States. And there's this guy, uh, Derek Rose. And so Derek Rose, when he came into the NBA was kind of, I, I sound so weird right now because anyone that knows me knows I'm terrible with the sports side of things, but this is like the one area of sports I kind of know. Well, when he came into the NBA, he was looked at as like, okay, this like is going to be one of the top point guards of all time. And he would do these crazy things. He was dunking as a point guard, which is like already consistently and pretty sweet dunks, which is already rare enough. But the thing with Derrick Rose, Ed, it's this, it's very sad, consistent injuries throughout his career over and over again, different ones, recurring ones. And now I'm already thinking like, I wonder, even though he has these top people helping him out, like, do you think that at that level of athletics, are they actually even thinking like that yet? Or are they just more worried about like these? I'm sure they're worried about diet. I get that. I'm sure they're worried about the rehabilitative exercises he's doing. But do you think they're actually out there making the connections between like, what does this guy's gut health looks like and his injuries? It de- I think it depends. Um, certain sports are better than others. And certain sports are worse than others generally, because quite often what you find is that people that work in medical teams, it's because of who they know, not because of what they've done in the past. But what I can tell you is uh, a friend of mine was a strength and conditioning coach for a top Premier League soccer team over Mm -hmm. here and got a very good friend of mine. And he also um, asked another friend of ours to consult with the team. And they're two players, you know, worth millions of pounds each, you know, top international world-known players. Mm. And they had injuries. And my colleague who came in as a consultant is also an osteopath. So he he came in under the, you know, the, the guise of a of, of an osteopath. And he assessed the, but he's also a Czech practitioner. And he assessed these players and he sent a report back to the medical doctor. And his report was both of these players, their injuries are caused by gluten intolerance, wow. which is unstable, you know, causing them to be unstable, which is causing, you know, I remember one guy was, he had ankle sprains. I can't remember the other guy's injury, but one of them was definitely ankle sprains. And I think he also had opposite side shoulder issue, but that was actually compensating for the hip on the opposite side. Hmm. So his recommendation was that this soccer player goes on a gluten-free diet. There was other recommendations, of course, but that was the key one. And the team doctor went, don't be stupid. First of all, that's nonsense. And secondly, it's impossible to eat a gluten-free diet. And we're talking about 
players that are worth millions of pounds. Wow. Okay. So did he end up doing it though? Like, did the players no, end up? No, they 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 oh. sacked they sacked the consultant. Wow. Because, wow. Because he's not. Because even though he's also uh, a naturopath, but they said we didn't we didn't consult you as a nutritionist. Okay. Got it. Was there? Yeah, see, so, so this is insane. So I and I this is kind of what I suspected because I even see every now and then you'll watch these athletes who are like. I know they're doing it for sponsored reasons too, but I, I believe that they actually use them. You'll see the guys wearing the blue light blockers and stuff. Like they're trying to do it for better sleep or they're wearing the mm. yellow ones in the gym. Mm. And again, I do believe some are actually implementing these protocols, but we're at this weird time because, you know, you are getting these players, they're getting access sometimes to these higher level uh, natural type people, or they're seeing stuff on the internet themselves. I mean, they're humans, right? So just mm. like you and I, they're going on the internet. They see this person has healed this thing or that thing. I mean, they can make their own choices, but yeah, you have these influences from the coaches and it, it might not be, um, it might not register to them as well because I, I get it too. It's not like I'm even being, I don't want to be totally uh, lacking sympathy to the situation. Like if you're a coach and this person, I mean, you're, you're training some of the top level athletes of the world and they're saying, oh, it's a gluten intolerance that caused this injury. I mean, yeah, if you don't have a background in this stuff like we do, it's really easy to find that that's like disconnected in your brain. You're like, what is this? That sounds like quackery almost if you don't Mm. know the science behind it. Mm. Now, maybe should they have given that person a little more uh, grace and an opportunity to actually explain themselves? Probably, but I, I also get it. So what you're really saying is, you know, maybe the information's out there for some of these people, but half the time someone tells them don't even listen to this anyway. Because I feel like the athletes will do whatever they're told because they're yeah. such high performers, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the story that I just mentioned, it was it was some time ago now. I'm talking mid mid-2000, two thousand mid 2000s. Okay. Um, okay. But it's still definitely got it's got better. It's definitely got better. But there there are also you know, there, there, there is still a lot of ignorance around those kind of subjects. But what's interesting, and I just want to bring this up, actually, mm-hmm. because you mentioned recurring injuries. And whilst this isn't necessarily 100% related to FDN, I think it's an important point. One of the things that I see, and again, it's, it's looking at it from a holistic point of view, you often get a mental emotional cause of recurring injuries. Hmm. And what it can what it can often be, and now I see this again in soccer in in England, is that a player will be called up to the England squad for the first time ever, and it's like, wow, amazing! I'm you know, I'm in the England squad. And, you know, it must be great for them and their family, and hmm. you know, you know, it's it's fulfilling a lifetime dream, right? Playing for your country. Well, more than fifty percent of the time, about within a week before the squad meet up, they get injured. What happens all the time, right? Now, you can't tell me that that's just physical. And one of the things that I think is, you know, growing up, we often we often learn that we're not worthy, that we don't deserve certain things. And I, and I think that there's definitely a, quite a strong mental, emotional aspect to recurring injuries. Yes, there are certain players that we know have been mistreated, and that's the reason why they keep getting injured. But I also feel there is there is a mental emotional aspect uh, tied into recurring injuries as well. Okay, well that's something to unpack for sure. Where do people even start then? Because that that doesn't seem like an overnight fix by any means. It's not just a few supplements or a diet change. You really got to work on your stuff. So where do you start with that? There's a num- there's a, there's quite a lot of techniques you can use, but probably you know if I was if I was working with a you know elite athlete, I would probably suggest they get um, hypnosis. 
because a lot of these a lot of these subconscious beliefs that's what you know so what we're really talking about they they are created normally in the first seven years of life when our brainwave state is still very low so normally you know delta and theta brainwave states which is hypnotic states so if you grow up in an environment where you're told that you're not worthy and you know you're never going to amount to anything but it becomes your reality because at that age you don't have the possibility to say no to it because your right. bo- your your brain is just soaking up your environment it's not until the age of seven when the brainwave state increases up, up to um alpha and then beta at 12 years old that um you you start to be able to respond to your environment and to say yes or, or no to it but by the time it's subconscious you're subconscious of it. So you don't know. Mm-hmm. So the only way to repattern that is to go into a hypnotic state and have someone like a hypnotherapist um, re reprogram that belief. Wow. So what do you, because I've, I've heard of all this. I'm very into this kind of stuff in terms mm-hmm. of um, applying it to this situation here. Do you think that these people that got called, I believe you called it the England squad, right? They got mm-hmm. called up for that. Do you believe that something then from their childhood is coming up basically saying, hey, they're not worthy of this or not deserving of that position? Yeah. Okay. Got it. And then you have the opposite athletes where, and, and we all know this, I mean, it's very entertaining from a sports uh, perspective, like if we're watching it, like the Michael Jordans, right? I can only do basketball, so work with me. But the Michael Jordans, the Kobe Bryants, people have almost historically looked at these people, not only as, I mean, athletic feats. I mean, they're amazing. Or, uh, sorry, their athletic feats and what they've done. But they've also looked at these people, especially Michael Jordan, as kind of like arrogant or even narcissistic on the court. However, I'm not promoting that narcissism by any means. But I think the side of that that worked out for him is that guy had it in his mentality. Like you're talking about today, I am the best. I'm going to outwork all of these people. You can't beat me. I mean, Kobe was, he was kind of the same way in a, in a different, it was a little bit of a different version of it. It was more like outward. Tw- you're also talking about two basketball players that that works with Paul Check. Are you? No way. Yeah. So Paul Check was a consultant for the Chicago Bulls back in the day. Okay. And, and Kobe Bryant, went to see Paul Check to work with him one-to-one. Get out. I did not know that. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> Paul didn't know who Kobe Bryant was when he walked into his office. He, he just said, oh, you're tall. Are you, are you a basketball player? And I think <laughs> yeah. he, he sort of looked at Paul as if to say, do you not know who I am kind of thing? Yeah, especially with Kobe's mentality. He's like, yeah, yeah what the hell kind of comment is that? But um, okay, that's really interesting because I, I definitely did not know that one. And that's a huge credibility to uh, Paul and what he's done. But yeah, those guys were so similar where it's just the competitive nature, this idea that, and they worked really hard, but it's this idea that I am just better than you. I'm better than your mm. team. I can do that kind of stuff. So again, maybe we don't want to take it that far, but we could also see the opposite side of that, that to get to that champion level, they just had this mindset set that I'm a winner. I'm going to do this. Mm. And then, yeah, you get other people where they're, they're really good, right? And they get called up for the England squad, but maybe they had those deeply rooted beliefs that, Hey, something, something here is going to, uh, it, I don't deserve this. And now mm. something happened to prove, Oh, well, you know, it, it wasn't supposed to be anyway. In terms of the recurring injuries, does that connect the exact same way? Or were you suggesting that with recurring injuries, like maybe someone now has it in their head that they have a weak spot or something's you know, not working correctly. And that's why it's getting recurring. Can that happen too? Well, it, it can be, it can be, they don't feel worthy, but the other thing as well, and this just, this isn't just athletes, this is human beings. And this doesn't have to be injury. This can be illness too, is that 
again, when we're young, quite often, one of the times we get the most attention or, or love from our parents is when we're sick. Hmm. So, you know, it might be, you know, you've got three or four siblings and, you know, they're all kind of fighting for attention. But when you're sick, you get 100% hmm. of attention from normally your mother, right? So that gets hardwired into your subconscious that one of the ways to get attention is to be sick because when you're sick, everyone's going to rush around around you. So what can happen is, is that someone gets sick because subconsciously, and again, they won't know that they're doing it. And if you, if you suggested it to them, they'd think you're crazy, right? They say, well, of course I don't want this rash all over my body or of course I don't want this knee pain or whatever. Right. But it's, it's not at the conscious level. It's the subconscious level. So, you know, some, some people, you know, that, some people call it an illness currency. There's a currency involved in being ill. There's, there's a benefit to it. And the benefit is that their subconscious believes that they're going to get attention. Hmm. And again, it's something that I see personally quite a lot in my practice. Wow. I think this can, I mean, we could do two hours worth mm. easily, right? Of just this kind of stuff, because I, I feel like everyone that listens to our show, especially if they're this far into the podcast, they're very receptive to this message, but it is something to keep in mind with clients. It's something to approach delicately because as you just said, that's the obvious response is no, of course I don't want this. And you are absolutely correct. You probably don't consciously want it, but on this deeper level, it provides you with something. And I think uh, the longer that we're sick, especially if we were sick when we were really young, I've had to check myself in a million different ways. And I'm still working on this, right? Because mm -hmm. that was an identity almost from five years old to 18, 19, I have always had something wrong with me. And it's odd now that I would say, first of all, I feel great, thankfully, but I am the least strict that I've been with certain protocols and diet stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. I still live a lot differently than most people. I'm still an FDN, that's for sure. But I'm the least strict I've uh, been in the last six years. And yet I feel the best. My skin's the clearest, right? I don't have a lot of the weird symptoms that I've used to have. It's kind of strange. Um, and there's a limit to this, right? I'm not going to go start eating pizza, drinking alcohol and staying up till three in the morning. No, I don't think that's going to work for me personally, mm. but there, there's this fine line where I was actually being so restrictive that that was hurting me worse than anything. And I'm keeping myself there. So maybe it's a little bit of a different belief at the time, but it, it was a mindset thing more than anything that I have to be super restrictive. And if I go outside of these restrictions, I'm going to break out. I'm going to get depressed. I'm going to feel bad. And it almost became truly like I used to eat chocolate once a month. And when I ate the chocolate, I'd get a little breakout right around my chin. And I believed that that was going to happen. Mm. I eat chocolate, dark chocolate, organic, of course, but I'm a chocolate connoisseur. I eat chocolate almost every single day of my life now. And yet I don't get those breakouts anymore. And really nothing else has changed in my life. So how did that happen? It's almost like I just started realizing, okay, dude, it's not chocolate. It's this fear and worry I have around the chocolate mm. that's actually breaking me out. Well, that's called the nocebo effect, isn't it? Yes. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I had a client once who, she came to see me. She was um, a hairstylist. So she spent all day with her arm, you know, shoulder up at 90 degrees cutting hair, right? So her shoulders lifted up all day. Well, she came to me with um, supraspinatus tendinosis. So that's, you know, wear and tear on, on the tendon of the supraspinatus muscle which is you know on the top of the sh shoulder there touches touches to the arm the humerus so obviously she couldn't work and she'd been to see 
a number of doctors who'd all told her that you can't rehabilitate a supraspinatus tendinosis. And she said, what do you think? I said, well, that's rubbish. I've rehabilitated <laughs> quite a few of that, you know, of those in the past. So she's like, okay, great. So, you know, we started working together and she was, I think she was seeing me once a week or something like that. And I was doing manual therapy and I was um, doing exercise with her. And obviously she was following nutrition plan and her shoulder got better. And then her left hip started to hurt. So, okay. So we started working on her left hip. Time would go by, her left hip got better. Great. But then her right shoulder started hurting again. And we kept getting this seesaw of right shoulder, left hip, right shoulder, left hip. And she came in one day and she said, you know what? I said, I think, I think this is in my head. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I think you might be right. <laughs> and within about a, a week, she never got pain. After she realized herself that, because what she was saying was she always, she didn't know anything else than being in pain. So she kept thinking soon as my shoulder got better, I was going to start feeling pain in my hip. And when my hip yeah. got better, I was going to start feeling. So there's the nocebo effect. Right. And soon as she, soon as she said it to herself, that was, that was almost enough to heal herself. Well, and that's amazing that it's really powerful actually, because you know how hard it is to come to those realizations kind mm. of on your own time and think about that. And yeah, this is exactly what I was trying to say. It's like, I talked to a lot of people on this podcast that got sick when they were in their twenties and thirties, but others are like myself and they were sick really young. And yeah, like you, I almost identify that I am just a sick person or I've had these kinds of things going on. Even if you're getting better, you're just like, well, yeah, I'm always going to be different than other people though. Um, and that's tough. We got to watch out for that. We got to acknowledge the bits of truth. Like, yes, I'm not going to go eat gluten tomorrow. I don't care. You're not going to get me to do that, right? Um, and, I, and you're not suggesting that. So it's it's walking this fine line, though, between like, what is the actual things that I need to do to keep myself healthy versus these fake rules and restrictions or ideas that I've created that's actually causing pain for this woman mm. when all of a sudden she can kind of turn that pain off. And this is real. Um, I love that you brought up the nocebo effect because it's weird how many people don't know um, nocebo, right? They've all heard of mm. placebo. Mm. They've all heard of a uh, nocturnal, but they haven't heard of like nocebo and diurnal. Mm. I always find it funny that people haven't heard yeah. of those. Yeah. And that's a real phenomenon, guys. Though so it's you're, you're actually causing something bad because of the belief, and that just shows mm. what the human mind can do. That's not. I think it's hard to comprehend. Uh, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. It is hard for me to comprehend, but it's very real. I mean. Think about how a new medicine gets to the market. We actually compare it to the placebo. Mm. It is that real that that's how pharmaceutical companies have to get these things to the market in America is by comparing it to the power of the human mind. Isn't that it's kind of weird when you word it that way? Yeah. I mean, there's, I don't know if you've heard the story of someone who was told they had stage four cancer and they had, I can't, I can't remember exact time. They said, you know, four weeks to live or whatever it was. Mm. And on the day, four weeks after he was told he had cancer, stage four cancer, he died. Well, they did the autopsy and they couldn't find any tumors in his body. He was misdiagnosed. But because the person believed the doctor, that was, that was enough to kill him. That was, the, that was, you know, that was the nocebo effect. Well, I haven't heard, is this a, is this something that's supposed to teach a lesson or is that an actual real story? As I understand, that's a real story. Wow. Wow. I mean, I would, yeah, I guess I wouldn't doubt it. Like, why couldn't it do something like that? But that's crazy. So I think this just proves the point. We got to be so careful what we are listening to and what we're consuming. And my gosh, if you're going to get, I, I hope it doesn't get to this point for anyone on this podcast, but if enough people listen, I guess statistically it would for at least one or two. If you get a terminal diagnosis, uh, 
if you're going to die anyway, you might as well get a second or third opinion, mm. right? Hear it from, because I think it's kind of hard to get it out of our own heads when we heard it from this authority figure. So go get the second or third opinion and hear mm. it from another authority figure. Um, and of course, yes, all of us pass away one day, but that's that's kind of nuts to know that this person believed this so deeply that that ended up doing this for them. It's a little bit of a, a different story, but it's a similar concept. I had a a friend of mine in high school, her grandmother passed away and the grandfather and grandmother had been married, I think for like 50 or 60 years at the time. It was beautiful. It was one mm. of those long-term couples and the grandfather without any health issues, no, nothing going on. He was just older, right? He died about three weeks after uh, the grandmother, right after the funeral, the funeral happened and stuff. Yeah. Now the cause of death was simply old age. But mm. when you look at it like that, again, I think you get what I'm saying. It's conceptually yeah, similar where he lost his point for living. He said, all right, yeah. I'm done. And the second he said in his own mind, I'm done, his body's like, okay, cool. We're out. You know, we'll go uh, visit, you know, your wife and stuff like that. And that it's kind of a beautiful story in that sense because mm. he lived a great life. And it was the family, as sad as they were to lose both of these people, thought it was like, really amazing that you can love someone so much that you survived 50, 60 years with this person. And within three weeks of them being gone, you're gone as well. It's, it's as sad. It's as beautiful as it is sad, but I think that shows the power of the mind when he said it's done, it's going to be done. And, um, the Buddhist monks do this as well. I don't know if you ever studied those. They'll actually tell them uh, like their, their groups, their monasteries at the end of their life when it's approaching. They already know that it's coming. And it's not because they're in the hospital on IVs and all this stuff. They literally just know it's their time mm. and they'll bring everyone around. Mm. It's, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. So that, that's kind of cool. I didn't think this is where this <laughs> podcast was going to go today, but this is interesting to know that you consider this. I've, I mean, you have years of expertise in this, that you consider this to be a big part of these injuries. So <gasps> let's... um. Let's go, let's reverse back a little bit and actually try to quantify this. If I'm someone that is dealing with these recurring injuries or trying to get this, I, I just want to, you know, I want to be bulletproof when I'm performing in sports or weightlifting or for the rest of my life, just as I'm getting older. And I do want to do this. How much do you think percentage wise, if you could quantify it somehow is put into the mindset stuff versus like the gut health actually taking care of oneself? Or is this, is it hard to tell? Well, the mind, the mind controls the physical body, right? So one of the things that I find really useful with, with my clients is affirmation statements. Now, a lot of people think it's a lot of, you know, woo-woo nonsense, but, you know, we know that everything in the universe is, is a vibration. Everything's vibrating, isn't it? An, an idea is a vibration. Mm -hmm. And how, how, do you, how do you brainwash someone? Well, you tell them the same thing repetitively over a long period of time, right? We've, we've had a, a bit of that over the last three years, but I'm sure we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I, can, I can tell you from my own experience sometimes, and so let's say my, my knee starts to hurt and I'm walking along the street and I'm like, oh, what's that? And I start limping. And I think, oh no, what have I done? And my first thing is, oh, geez, well, I'll be able to play tennis at the weekend. And I just say to myself, stop, stop. My knee is strong. 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 And about two minutes later, my, my knee feels absolutely fine. <laughs> right. And so what I do with clients is I sit down with them and help them come up with affirmation statements for them to use. And I, and I, and I don't know where this number came from because it, it came into my head. I didn't make it up. Okay. But I, I recommend 
if someone has an affirmation statement, they they need to say it 60 times a day. I don't know where the number 60 come from, but it seems to work because it has to be repetitive. And you're basically brainwashing your own body. And obviously the affirmation has to be in the present tense. So, you know, you might start it. I'm happy and grateful now that, you know, it might be, you know, I work with a lot of people with, with acne, you know, I'm happy and grateful now that I have completely clear skin every day. Hmm. And what you don't want them to do is to say, I'm happy and grateful now that I don't have acne because what, what you're creating is the vibration of acne. Well, that's the thing that you don't want. So, you know, it can take, it can take a bit of coaching to actually get the right words for the person. Now I try and get the client to come up with the words, but sometimes I just try and help mold them because quite often they'll want to use the negative word, you know, I don't want, or, um, I want to get rid of my belly, you know, things like that you tend to hear. So, okay. So if you've got a big belly, you don't want to be talking about that. You've got to talk about what you do want, which is the flat tummy or belly or whatever you want, whatever wording you want to use. And I find that really powerful. Wow. But in, in terms of percentages, again, if you, if you're using a, a completely holistic approach, it doesn't mean that you don't look at your nutrition. You don't look at your exercise. You don't look at getting to bed on time. You know, all the, all the dress stuff, right. You've still got to do all that. Um, but for me, the most, the most important is, is the mind. Wow. You, you're making so many connections for me today. And I hope other people are having this experience because I didn't know that you worked with people with acne. And I, I kind of already alluded to that in this um, podcast today. That was one of my biggest health symptoms. I mean, nine years old, I started breaking out wow. and, and that, yeah. And I mean, it was by the age of 18, it's one of the worst cases you probably ever seen. Now, if you work with people, it might be up there for you. The average person, it's one of the worst cases they ever seen because most of these people just don't leave their house. Mm. And so what's been tough for that, Lee, and something, this is fascinating. Over the last several years, my skin's been really good. I'll still get an occasional breakout here and there. It's nothing that I ever felt too worried about. But if I got like more than just like one or two, I'm starting to worry so strongly about it coming back, you know, uh, Oh, what am I doing wrong? All these things. And then you want to know something odd. So I never really grew a beard before. I I, I actually only started growing like a little small goatee in uh, in the pandemic. And then I let the full beard go recently. Now, I didn't change anything else. But I stopped getting almost all of these. I mean, granted, it was only one or two. But I stopped even getting the one or two pimples. And I realized that recently. I'm like, what changed? And you know what changed, Lee? Because I have a beard. I'm not worried about acne anyway. Mm. Like in the, in the, my head, I'm realizing, oh, well, if I break out, no one can see it. So who cares? Mm. Me not worrying about it led to me not breaking out. Like how weird is that? Well, it's not weird because we know this stuff, but mm. it's just so interesting to know that this last several years, I think the reason that one or two breakouts had always been happening no matter what, even if they weren't a huge deal, is because in my mind somewhere since nine years old, when I've looked in that mirror, um, it's validating, like, unfortunately, in a bad way. I'm looking at someone who has acne, and I have identified that with myself. I, I just have acne. So at 27 years old, healthy as can be, eating better than everyone that I know, still getting a couple of breakouts here and there. It's like, it almost didn't make sense. And then the second I grow the beard, it's like, well, I don't have to worry about the acne anyway. Oh, go figure. The acne goes away. How, like, it's cool. <laughs> well, there's also a physiological reason why that, that might be the case as well, because okay. when you're stressed, what does that do to the gut lining? 
Well, of course, makes it more permeable. Yeah, right. So straight away, you've probably helped your gut because you're not stressing out about your skin, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, I I suffered from severe cystic acne from age 13 to 31. Wow. And, you know, it wasn't – and I I took antibiotics for 18 years. I took – I used these horrible creams and cleansers. All three of those things just made everything worse. And even, even by the time I, I started my FDN training, my gut still needed a lot of healing to, to, to you know, to, to recover from all that, those antibiotics. And I'm not sure if my microbiome will ever fully recover from, from that. Um, but, you know, I, I, I know that, you know, talking about acne, people think of it, it's just a skin condition, but I think it's more of a, of a mental, emotional issue because it destroys people's self-confidence and self-esteem which affects every aspect of your life. So I get a lot of satisfaction from helping people, you know, achieve clear skin. Um, and I'm actually 90% of the way through writing my latest book, which will be called uh, Eliminating Adult Acne for Good. So I'm hoping wow. that that's going to be published this year. Um, and I, I actually do a, I do a uh, online coaching program for people with acne as well. Um but um, but yeah, it'd be, be good if I get the book out because obviously not everyone can afford to to do a coaching program. But yeah, um, yeah, working hard to get that out this year if possible. Ali, I love you, man. This is amazing because I feel like other than um your passion and proficiency in playing sports, I feel like we're we're very similar out, outside of that. So this is just cool to hear because I. I, I do other things outside of FDN, so I've always tried to help people with the acne side, but I don't run a full-time FDN business by any means. And so I'm just so excited to hear that you have this book coming out and that you work with people one-on-one with that and, and other things. Um, we There's no shortage of people that need help with this. We need sure. so many practitioners that have this as a niche or, or at least offer these services to people because... The good news for you guys as coaches, if you're ever interested in this about acne sufferers, is we'll do whatever it takes. We will try anything. Uh, the the stuff that I've tried, honestly, like it's almost embarrassing because you get so desperate to figure mm-hmm. out the thing that's going to work. So trust me, your FDN labs, your you know few thousand dollar program. I'm being honest, that is nothing compared to what some people have done. I thankfully have not done this one, but if you go onto forums, you will hear about people telling others to take their own urine and mix it in a like you know serum and rub it on their face and i'm not laughing because it's it's not really funny like these people mm. are told to do this and they think that that's the solution and imagine being that embarrassed and that uncomfortable with yourself that you're going to do something like that so again a few labs dietary changes mindset stuff you know most acne sufferers we can get on board with things like that so um, i'm glad that you got that figured out i'm very sorry that they had you on 18 freaking years of antibiotics was that constant or on and off pretty constant yeah pretty constant oh my god um i mean my my first visit to the to the doctor was, oh, here's some creams and cleansers. But they didn't do anything at all. In fact, they just made my skin worse. And then uh, one of my school friends, he was kind of three months ahead of me in his acne journey. And uh, he he came in one day and he said, oh, I've just got these pills from the doctor and it seems like they're working. So then I went back to the doctor and said, oh, my friend's got these. And he went, oh, yeah, I can give you these. And what what I experienced, what my friend experienced, and what I see a lot with people that come to see me is they say, Do you know, it, initially it worked. It did. Initially, 
three yeah. to six months, it does get better. But then it comes back and it comes back worse, which you, again, if you're destroying your microbiome, your gut microbiome, <laughs> of course it's going to get worse, right? Um, so, you know, it's just so, so important to, to again, use a holistic approach. But the one thing that um, I was going to say, which has just gone out of my head, what was I going to say? I can't remember. Can't have been that important. Gotcha. I don't know if this will trigger anything. We had the cystic acne, um, the oh, antibiotics. I've remembered. Okay. I've remembered. <laughs> so I remember I was in my mid twenties. I, I I had a mortgage. I had my own home, and I remember thinking, if someone came to me and said, "If you if you pay me twenty five thousand pounds, and I guarantee I can get rid of your acne," I would have remortgaged my property there and then. Not not a doubt in the world. Hmm. Luckily, it didn't cost me quite that much. You know, but you know, all, all my training I did with the Czech Institute, also um, my training with metabolic typing with Bill Walcott and FDN, you know, probably, probably not even half of 25,000 pounds, you know? So yeah. And it's, it's worth it, man. Absolutely. People don't get it. It's literally worth it when you're suffering with, I, I'm not comparing it. <clears throat> and I know you aren't either. We're not comparing it to the cancers. We get that. It's a different type of suffering, but you know, even the overweight thing, I'm assuming it's, I know it's not as bad as the United States, but it's not too much better over there. Even the overweight thing, there's so many people that are overweight that even though you might feel very self-conscious, you could still look around and see a bunch of other people that are overweight. Cystic acne, so many people hide that when you have to be out in the world, and I mean, you were very active, like if you're going out and doing stuff, you don't see a lot of other, like I didn't know anyone at all ever who looked like me when I was 17, 18 years old. I did not know anyone who looked like that. And so you feel so much different than others. I mean, forget dating like it. And this is the self-worth aspect, right? Where it affects your self-confidence. I didn't even have the thought in my head that I could date because I'm like, I wouldn't date someone who looked like this. Why, why would mm-hmm. they date me? And so mm-hmm. I mean, it's a terrible way to live your life and, and think like that. So for, I just, I love that you're doing that work and helping others with it. It's amazing. Um, I also appreciate your transparency with the antibiotics and saying, Hey, you know what? I don't know if we ever can fully heal this because I, I thankfully was not on 18 years, but I was on 20 rounds over about a 10 year period. And I'm in the same boat where I'm like, you know what? I don't know if this is ever going to be 100% normal, uh, but thankfully we have access with what we've done to the best functional people in the world and we still feel pretty okay. We're doing mm-hmm. good in our lives and you know maybe <clears throat> excuse me, maybe it takes a little bit of extra supplementation for me, myself just to keep me on track. That's a small price to pay mm-hmm. uh, for what I've been able to achieve and what we've been able to do. So uh, Lee with the so yeah, please. I was just going to add one more thing there. Please. So something I try and get across to people that are suffering from acne is that, you know, a lot of the treatments, because they're not looking at dealing with it at a causal level, what you're probably doing is you're you're hiding or you're masking the root cause. Mm-hmm. So the root cause is going to continue going. The way that the way that I look at acne is that as as horrible as it is to experience, acne is a blessing. And it's a blessing because it's a warning sign. It's a warning sign yes. <laughs> that there is something internally that is out of balance and it's given you the opportunity to change. Now, if you go and get Roaccutane or whatever you, you know, what treatment you want to use and you mask the symptoms, oh, great, my skin's great, but, you know, your liver's in a terrible state, your, your gut's in a terrible state, 
Well, maybe 10, 20, 30 years down the line, you may well have a life-threatening disease. It, and it's, you know, it could well be something like cancer. So do you want to go down that route of a quick fix, but you've still got the root cause bubbling away underneath that you might have to deal with much further down the road? Or would you rather deal with the root cause right now and not only get get you know clear skin every day and get your self-confidence and your self-esteem back, but you're actually improving your overall health and you're reducing your risk of illness and injury as, as you get older. I, I love this. I love the warning sign thing because you are absolutely right. And um, yeah, it's a warning sign that we should be thankful for because it, in the grand scheme of things, it's relatively harmless physically, but it's highly motivating emotionally, mm. right? So before you get the, no one has died from cystic acne alone. So before you get that thing that, that does get you, um, it, it is, it's a motivating thing and it makes you want to take some action. So it sucks that people don't know what the action is, but then we got people like you out there doing the good work and, and helping others. And that's what I want to um, finish up with today. I have two things. One is just where people can find you. And also what exactly do you do? Because you have been doing this for a while. I've probably confused the audience in terms of like, I've, you've, I've touched on multiple areas of your experience. So if I'm going to your website or I wanted to learn just about Lee, like who is your ideal client and who do you work with? So if people go to my website, if, you know, as clients, so that's body check. So body, C-H-E-K.co.uk, you'll see on the website, there's basically six main areas that, that I work with. So you'll, you'll find on there lower back injuries, knee injuries, shoulder injuries, and then there's uh, skin conditions, gut issues, chronic fatigue. Okay. All right. So you do a lot of different things and that's after years of doing this, right? So, mm. um, nice. That's fun to be able to address all those things. And we already will have all your links in the show notes below. So people can find that stuff there. I want to finish up then with the signature question for this podcast. And I'm, I'm interested in this because I don't know what you're going to answer with because you could probably go a million different ways. The signature question that we'll finish up with is if I could give Lee a magic wand, and you could wave it and get every single person in this world to do one thing for their health, whether that's you actually get them to do one thing or you can get them to stop doing one thing. What is the one thing that Lee would get them to do? Take responsibility for their own health. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure.